Well, thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. I've been a big fan of your church uh, for many years and your lead pastor who's just fantastic and uh, just a real thrill uh, for me to be here with you. And I love being in Wisconsin uh, because I know that you guys are football fans. And I'm a football fan as well. And your team is not in it this year. My team is not in it this year. And I just feel like because you're football fans, you can understand a little bit of my pain um, because I, uh, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And um, it's a little painful to talk about, okay? Because we were so close this year and we didn't quite make it in. And the reason I'm a Chiefs fan is not by choice. No one ever chooses to be a Chiefs fan. You grow up in Kansas or Missouri and you're kind of predestined to be a Chiefs fan. And so I'm stuck with it, uh, but one day, right? And the thing that I've learned about being a Chiefs fan is you quickly become very, very cynical uh, with life. Because you just, you get so close and then it doesn't happen. And a couple years ago, we were really close. People were calling me, this is your year, this is your year. And we found a way to blow it. And of course, just a couple weeks ago, we were in the AFC Championship game, and we had the lead, and we, you know, I thought, here we go, this is it, people are texting me, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and I'm thinking, wait a second, I've seen this movie before, I know how this ends, and sure enough, we lost the game, and uh, it was just, you know, kind of a devastating thing, and after a while of all the losses racked up, you just kind of become a little bit cynical. Now, you Packer fans aren't all that cynical, because you can still remember a Super Bowl that you've won. Mine happened for the Chiefs before I was born, so I got nothing, all right? So I, I get a little cynical about that. And maybe you get cynical about sports or football or whatever, but I think all of us at times, we get cynical about, about people, right? Uh, and we have this experience all the time, whether it's, you know, at a restaurant or, you know, with customer service or whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one that kind of scarred me when it comes to trusting uh, people when it comes to food service was... Uh, several years ago, I had to head to a meeting, and I was going to be driving for a while, and I thought, you know, stopping by a coffee place and getting some coffee would be just fantastic. And so as I ran out of my office, I, I grabbed that, that thermal mug that we all have one of those sitting around, right? And I grabbed one of those, and, and as I picked it up, and I headed out the door, uh, I noticed that there was something in it. And I don't know how long it's been sitting on my office desk, but I wasn't about to unscrew the lid and look in there you know, and see that science experiment. So I, I kind of put it back, or left it on there, and I, and I headed over to a, a coffee place, and they had a drive-through, and, and I won't tell you the name, you know, but it rhymes with five bucks. And I, I went in there, and I'm on the drive-through, and I say, I just want this thing filled up with coffee. They said, no problem. And I said, well, would you do, do me a favor? Would you rinse it out with hot water first? And they said, oh, absolutely, no problem. So they come back, hand me the coffee. Great. I get out on the highway. You know, I'm driving along. And I decided to take a drink of my coffee, and as I do, I get a big wad of mold, just boom, right there. What do you do in that moment when you're going 55 um, <laughs> between semi-trucks and you've just ingested mold? I mean, it's a devastating moment, right? And at that moment, you just start reasoning with yourself, like, well, that's where they get penicillin, it's okay, you know, it's, it's blue cheese dressing, but I don't... I don't drink blue cheese dressing. You know, it's just this constant, you know, self-talk going on. But I'll tell you what it does is it makes you skeptical of people. It makes you skeptical of people's words. And so when we jump into a series like you guys have been over the past few weeks and we say better together, there's a part of you and a part of me that goes, well, maybe. Because you and I have both been burned enough by other people that we kind of say, you know what? Uh, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. 
I should know better than to trust you. And this whole idea of trusting other people is a really difficult concept for us. Uh, I think about a time in our church a few years ago. We have life groups just like you guys do, and, and we were meeting in this life group, and there was a couple in our group that was just going through some tough times financially, and so the rest of us decided to pull some money together and, and give it to them and just say, hey, here's a little something to help you out. And they were very appreciative of that. And then not long after that, they decided to move from one apartment to another to have a little bit more margin in their budget. And we said, hey, we'll help you move. And I remember taking apart cribs and furniture and resetting it up in the new place. And, and no one likes to move. So we were all, you know, pitching in and they were thrilled by that. Not long after that, another family in our life group gave this couple a minivan. Just gave it to them. That was a huge gift. And they were very appreciative of that. And then a few months after that, this family that had received all this help from us decided to leave our church because they weren't having their needs met. And I, I watch that, and I hear that, and I think, okay, never again. I mean, right? There's this thing inside all of us that goes, I don't know if I can trust anyone. And so when we say better together, there's this resistance in all of us that goes, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure if I can trust anybody other than just the people in my home, and I'm a little skeptical of them sometimes, right? I'm not so sure if I need to join a life group or a rooted group or an alpha group and be around other people and kind of share who I am, because I'm not sure if I can trust them. And so we get just a little bit cynical. And let me tell you kind of where this all begins. Let me show you a picture here. This is a high school cafeteria. You remember these moments? Okay, and if you've ever been the kid that walks into a brand new high school and then you go to the cafeteria, this is the scariest moment of your day. Because you get your food, whether it's, you know, the hot lunch on the tray or you bring in the brown bag or whatever it is, or you got your Packers lunch box, you know, and you come walking in. And there's this moment where you're thinking, where do I sit? And you start surveying the room. And it's the same in all high schools. You got one table over there, it's all the athletes. You know, they're over there eating meat and, you know, protein shakes and bench pressing each other, you know, and you're thinking, you know, that's not where I fit, so you keep going. Then there's that table where all the cool kids are, you know, and they're all, you know, they're wearing their polo shirts and talking about which Lexus they drove and what they're going to do on the weekend, and you're like, man, I don't fit there either. Then you see the smart kids table, you know, and, and, and they're doing algorithms and playing Dungeons and Dragons and everything, and you're thinking... Yeah, I'll probably work for you one day, but I'm not going to sit with you now. And, and then you keep walking. And then you, in the back of the lunchroom, there's always, every lunchroom has this. It's kind of the, the extras table, right? <clears throat> it's the island of misfit toys. And so you go over and you sit down because you're welcome there. And you make fun of every other table, but you would gladly go there if they invited you. And you get out of high school and you get settled into a career or a family and you think, finally, I've found my table. I don't have to worry about where I fit in or who I can trust anymore. This is it. So when we talk about community, when we talk about better together, as you guys have over the past few weeks, there's a part of some of us that go, I've already got that taken care of. I found my table. For instance, maybe you're a mom raising three kids and you're struggling every day just to get them up, get them out the door, and you get them home and you spend all your time on homework and getting prepped for the next day, you put them to bed, and then you're just, you're just exhausted. And if I were to say to you, what about community? You'd say, oh, I got it. It's those three kids. 
Maybe for some of you, you're two working parents and you're trying to manage work and, and home and, and your morning is racing around trying to figure out who's taking who where and, and who's picking up who when. And then after that, there's, there's uh, football practice or there's you know, karate lessons. And, and then you have, you have uh, dinner as a family in the van, in the drive-thru, you know, because that's what you do and that's the way God intended. And you come home and you do homework and you pack lunches and everybody goes to bed and somebody says, well, what about, you know, should we go to church this weekend? I don't know. I'm just exhausted. Weekends when we hunker down as a family and do stuff as a family because we just can't, we can't, you know, keep doing this kind of life. And if somebody said, well, join a life group, you'd say, are you crazy? This is my community. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're single, but you just spend all your time at the office. You just spend all the time on the job. And somebody says to you, what about community? You'd say, oh, I got it. It's the people I work with. Or maybe for you, you're dealing with aging parents. And you're constantly racing over to their place and making sure they're taking their meds and eating and getting them to doctor's visits. And we said, what about community for you? And you'd say, oh, I got it. It's them. And there's a part of us that thinks because we found our table, then we don't need anything more. And many of you live near family and friends and think this is all I need. And that's biblical, right? I mean, think about the way that, that Jesus was raised. It was in this, uh, you know, kind of communal area where he was raised not just with his parents, but also with extended family around him. We read about this fascinating story in the scriptures where Jesus goes to Jerusalem as a young boy, about 12 years old. And on the way home, uh, they get about two days into the journey, and somebody goes, hey, where's Jesus? And Joseph looks at Mary and says, I thought he was with you. And she says, I thought he was with you. And they've discovered they have lost the Lord. I mean, can you imagine how humiliating that would be in heaven? Yeah, I'm the one that, you know, lost Jesus, you know. I mean, that's a scary thing. And, and I always wondered, how do you do that, you know? Did they not have the little leashes you put on kids that you see people have in the mall, you know? I mean, what, what was going on there? And then I learned the way they would travel back then was in these huge packs of people. The, the women would be up front, the kids would be in the middle, and, the, and all the dads would be in the back. And it would be quite possible for Joseph just to assume Jesus was with his friends or he was with his mom. And for Mary to assume that Jesus was with his friends or with his dad. And they get a day and a half in and discover, well, we don't know where he is. And they find him back in the temple and everything is fine. But it's this whole essence of community in which they traveled. Now we look at that and we think, yeah, I got that. I got family around me. But it's bigger than that. What Jesus was growing up with is what the people of Israel were taught to do by God. Look at what God tells them through Moses. He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, all the time. Now, we read that, and we think, oh, yeah, I should probably go to church once in a while. Maybe we should pray before family dinner, at least, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe we got to go get some kind of wall hanging from Hobby Lobby with a verse on it. We could put it on the wall. Would that be enough? What, what God is saying through Moses here is deeper than just to your family. Take a look at what Carrie Newhoff and Reggie Joyner say in their book, Parenting Beyond Capacity. They say, Moses is speaking to all of Israel about the importance of families passing on their faith to the next generation. He was talking to every parent and everyone else. 
we assume because there's so much language about family and children that he was talking primarily to parents. But Moses was speaking to all of Israel. The culture of the Israelites was that of community. Not only were parents listening, but there were others in the crowd as well. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, and a wider circle of adults. Here's what God intended for them and thus for us. Just because you found your table doesn't mean that's enough. I remember when our first daughter was born. We were living in Kentucky at the time, 10 hours from grandparents. And our little daughter came around, Lindsay, and there came a season in our life where we needed somebody to watch Lindsay for about four hours, several days of the week. We didn't know who to ask. And so our neighbors were people we were getting to know, and they were grandparents themselves. And so one day we had them over for breakfast and popped the question, would you be willing to watch Lindsay for a few hours each week? And they said, absolutely. And I remember when they left the house, I thought, I've done it. We found community. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, is that community? Or is it just a babysitter? Because that person just exists to meet my needs. And community is so much deeper than that. So as we wrap up this series... After all the past four weeks of us talking about this idea of being in relationships with one another, can I just tell you two things that I've discovered bring the greatest value in your life when you decide to do this? And two of the things that I've figured out in my own life who went into this a little bit hesitant. The first thing is this, and that is there's a tremendous value of your family serving others. When you decide that your level of community is no longer just us four, no more, or just our family and no one else, you begin to look at other people differently. I think about a few years ago, our church decided to go down into Mexico and help build homes for people, and it was just a weekend trip, and we were assigned one family, and we had several teams going, and everybody had a family, and and I remember the team I was with, uh, we were going to go take care of this one person's house that needed a new roof put on it, and so... uh, we decided to bring the, the whole family. I took my wife and my two daughters, and we went down there, and they were a little bit hesitant. They didn't know what this was going to be like. And, and while the adults worked, the kids played with the kids of that house and that little village. They didn't speak the same language, but they knew how to play on a pile of dirt. <laughs> no technology needed. And they had a great time for a couple of days. And I remember as we drove away, my kids wiping tears out of their eyes because they were so impacted by somebody who had less than them, but they were able to serve. I thought, what an impact it had to invite someone else into our life and us into theirs. I remember just a couple summers ago, my family was in Florida uh, for uh, various events. And and, uh, we decided while we were there, we were going to go to Universal Studios. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, and that is, don't you live in California? Don't you have a Universal Studios there? And the answer is yes, but we prefer not just heat, but also humidity. And so we decided to go to Universal Studios in Florida. And so, guys, I think you can understand and resonate with this. When you decide to take your family to an amusement park, it is a significant financial investment. You're paying a lot of money for those tickets, 
And you have this mentality, as I do, and that is, we're going to get our money's worth here. We're going to get here on time, we're going to leave as the park closes, and we're going to ride every ride they've got. And so as you're marching into the park, I'm giving you know, my kids the pep talk. Hey, listen, we're not stopping for any souvenirs. We may not even eat, okay? We are racing from ride to ride. Take your pictures and we'll smile about them later. Who cares about fun right now? Because daddy wants to get his money's worth, all right? All right, all right, yeah, absolutely. So we get in there, and apparently six million other people have decided to go to the park that day, and it's crowded, and it's hot, and it's humid, and everybody's cutting in line, and, and, you know, stepping on me and getting in my way, and I don't like crowds to begin with, and now they're all pressing in against me, and, and, you know, my kids are, you know, let's go this ride, let's go that ride, and after like four hours, we've ridden two rides, I'm not happy. Okay? I mean, there's not a lot of love of Jesus flowing from me at this moment. <laughs> and my wife looks at me, and she knows what's going on, and she says, we need to go have lunch. I said, lunch? Are you kidding me? we got to keep going. And she says, no, we need to go in a place and sit down in the air conditioning, let you cool down and have lunch. I said, oh, we're not eating in a place. You know, that's even more expensive than, you know, getting the turkey leg on the way to the ride. She said, no, we're going to go sit down and cool off okay. So we go in there and we sit down. Everybody's got their menu and I'm looking at my menu, looking at the prices, of course. Are you kidding me? You know, and I'm suggesting to the kids, maybe we all get one thing and kind of share it, you know, and no, 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 we're all getting our own thing. And then my wife says openly amongst all of us, not just whispers to me, she says to all of us, hey, you know what we should do? We should pay for somebody else's meal too. Honey, what are you, you know, and my, my kids are looking at me like, what are you going to do, Pastor. You know, <laughs> you going to do this? And I said, well, I, I don't know. And, you know, they're looking at me. I go, okay, okay. So I'm looking around the room, and I see a guy sitting by himself drinking Coke, you know. And I said, hey, how about that guy over there, you know? My wife says, no, no, no. How about that family over there? And it was a family of four. I was trying to figure out what they'd ordered, you know. I said, okay. So the server came over, and we you know, told them what we wanted to do. And she said, oh, that is so nice. And I said, yeah, I thought so too, you know. And <laughs> so she goes over and tells them, but she doesn't tell them who it is. We said, make it anonymous. And, and they were blown away. And then the server comes over, and now she's emotional about the whole thing. And she says, they were overwhelmed, and the wife started crying, and it was just really, really kind of you. And I said, oh, that's great, you know. And, and as, as we leave there, and I'm kind of getting over the, the bill that I just paid, something happened in me. The entire rest of the day changed. I was suddenly relaxed. I suddenly let people cut in front of me. I'd go to get bottled waters and I'd offer it to anybody standing around. It just changed my mentality when we decided to get generous with other people. It was like we were bringing them into our table. And it changed the way not just my kids viewed the day and viewed their dad. It changed the way I viewed the rest of the day. There's a tremendous value when you decide it's not just about us, it's about others. But let me give you a second value, and that is the value of letting others serve your family. I know we're all tough people and we say, oh, I can do this, I got it. You need any help? Nope, we're good. But the ability to look at some other people and say, I'm going to let you into my life is huge. About eight years ago, my uh, wife notified me that a friend of hers from Kentucky 
was her, she and her family were moving to California, same city we live in. And my wife says, why, why don't we have them over for dinner? They've got a couple of kids, our kids age. And I said, that's fine. And so they came over for dinner on Friday night, Kevin and Michelle. We hit it off and it was great. We had a nice evening and the kids enjoyed each other, the same ages, had a lot of fun. And then they left. And I said, well, that was good. And Lori looks at me and she says, yeah, I invited them over next Friday too. I said, well, now hang on here, okay? You know, Fridays are sacred, okay? We don't need people coming over. She said, no, if we're going to have friends, we have to make the effort. I said, okay. I think you're catching a theme here that my wife is the smarter and more spiritual person in the family, right? And she says, we're going to have them over. I said, okay. So they come over the next Friday. Then they come over the next Friday. Then we go to their place the next Friday. And this began a streak of every Friday night being together for several years. And then I remember one night, we're sitting at a local restaurant, and I look at them, and I said, listen, I, I, I feel like our families are so close. I want you to have permission to speak into my kid's life if you see anything that they need to hear, even if it's correction. And they said, okay, will you do the same for us? I said, absolutely. And I remember over the next few years, just this level of them taking care of us and us of them. And Do you need a ride? And, and how can I pick this up and help you? And I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? And, and suddenly, it just began to break down these barriers I had in my heart towards other people because I allowed somebody in. But I'll never forget this one particular day that our youngest daughters, my daughter Sydney and their daughter McKenna, thought they were going to be in the same class at school. I think it was like third grade. And my daughter, Sydney, was so excited only to get there and discover there was a mistake made and they're not in the same class. She's crying. I'm trying to reason with her. It's going to be okay. You're going to have a great year. You'll still see McKenna a lot. It's going to be fine. None of it helped. But then... Our friends come over, and Michelle gets down in Sydney's face, and she says, I'll be praying for you this whole year. You're going to have a great year. I just know it. And Sydney stopped crying, and she goes, okay. And I'm sitting over there going, I think I just said that. <laughs> but as you know, our kids hear it differently from somebody else. And that all began when we let them in. Can I sum all this up in one statement? You think about this lunchroom table that you have. Us four, no more. Your family, your friends. Maybe the best way for us to be better together is simply to do this. You just add some chairs to the table. You invite some neighbors over that you normally wouldn't hang out with. You befriend some people at school that you'd normally just ignore. You invite some people over from the office that you tend to just say goodbye to at 5 o'clock. And you just begin to open up your hearts and you just wait and see what happens. Maybe for you that means you decide to finally join a rooted group. I mean, there's sign-ups for Wednesday night, for Tuesday night, and you just decide, I'm in on that. I don't understand it all. I'm going to learn as I go, but I'll give you 10 weeks and add some chairs to the table. Maybe you decide to lead one. 
Maybe for you it's to join an alpha group where you just begin to explore your faith along the way and understand what that begins to mean in your life. Maybe you just begin to decide to get into a life group. You see, the value of this is it has a huge impact, not just on you, but on other people. I'll tell you one last story. This life group that we were in, this group that had helped the family out, this group that had helped each other out, one day we get a notification from our life group leader at the church saying, we're sending another family your way. And there's part of me thinking, oh, no, 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 we're big enough. Too many chairs at this table. But we said, okay, come on. And this family of three show up. Mom, daughter, both believers, dad, atheist. But he's along because mom said, you got to come. <laughs> and so he's there. And he said, all right, I don't believe any of this, but I'll be here. And over the next year of just doing life together, he starts asking questions here and there about what this means and help me understand this. And after about a year of this, I saw him take huge steps in his faith so that five years ago on Super Bowl Sunday, we were doing baptisms at our church, and I had emailed him a few days before, and I said, hey, buddy, I think you're ready to get baptized. What do you think? And he wrote back, and he said, I was just getting ready to email you the same thing. Would you do me the honor of baptizing me? And I remember that day, baptizing him and seeing the look not just on his face, but on his wife's face and his daughter's face. All because this little group that had developed community decided there was room for a few more. So what does that look like for you? Maybe today you decide, I'm going to join a rooted group. Maybe today you decide, I'm going to join an alpha group. Maybe over at Pewaukee you decide... I'm going to go to group link. Maybe you just decide, I'm going to be more intentional with my neighbors. Maybe you just decide, it's time to add some chairs to the table. So we're going to do something right now that families do. We're going to have kind of this family meal the church has been doing for 2,000 years that we simply call communion. And communion is this time where we take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, and it reminds us of the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was spilled for us, a meal that Jesus kind of repurposed for his disciples and told us to do this to remember him. And now we're going to do this here in just a few moments while the band leads us through it as a church family. So as the ushers prepare to serve you communion, I'm going to pray for us. And then during this song, as they pass out communion, you just take that little piece of cracker and that little cup of juice and hang on to it. And here in just a moment, the band will lead us through taking communion together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God of community. You yourself exist in community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have modeled for us friendship and community through Jesus and the 12 disciples that he had around him and the family in which he grew up with and was um, submissive to and yet also the family he invites us into called the church. God, I'm thankful for the people at River Glen and the way they've been leading out with community for the past 20 years. 
and the amazing work they've done around here to invite others in and to add chairs to the table. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to work in them and through them. And I pray for those just kind of on the fence right now about this whole thing. This feeling of, I got enough people in my life, I don't need any more. That you would just give us the, the gentle nudge of, there's somebody who needs a friend. There's somebody that you need in your life. And we just begin to add some chairs to the table. So God, would you just continue to stir in our hearts and would you just unite us together in this time of communion? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.